0: How's everyone doing? Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. All right. We'd love to just feel a little bit of the energy here uh, because today is an exciting day. Today is a day like every other day, but particularly today that we can celebrate uh, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's because of this day that we have our faith, that we have new life, uh, and and a life that is no longer uh, uh, trapped in bondage and sin and fear and grief and sadness and whatever it is that we have an opportunity to live with joy because of the resurrected Christ. And I love the songs that that we sang uh, this morning. Because my hope and desire is that the songs that we sang weren't just songs that we sing because it's a Sunday morning, but because they are prayers to God. Because it's it's words that we actually believe that because of the cross that there's victory. And, And that is good news. And that is why we should be excited because we are victorious over death and sin. And so I'm excited to get into our passage this morning. Let me just pray, uh, and we will get started. God, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the way that you're working in our lives and that we can celebrate what you have done. You have come to die on the cross and you're resurrected on the third day, and because of that, we can experience life, and not just life, but life to its fullest. We thank you, in your name we pray, amen. For those of you that know me, know that I am a, a native Washingtonian. Uh, I am from the Seattle area, and I am a proud uh, Seattleite. Uh, but for several years, uh, I lived in uh, California. So I know after seminary, uh, I went to seminary in Pasadena, California. Uh, and after seminary, I took what we would call the first call uh, and um, as a follower of Christ, as one who, who decided to devote uh, my life to the ministry, I said yes uh, to a rough first calling, uh, and it was to be a youth pastor at um, the city called Laguna Beach, California. I know, it's a rough life, but somebody had to do it, and I stepped up to the plate, and I said, okay, God, I will live on the beach for your sake. Uh, and so I lived right by the ocean, walking distance uh, to, uh, to the ocean. And I remember telling myself, as soon as I moved to, to the beach area, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do myself a favor, and I'm going to take on surfing. I want to learn how to surf surf. Uh, because when, when in Rome, when in Laguna, you surf. Uh, and so I got sailed in, got my first surfboard, and I went out with some friends uh, who were seasoned surfers to teach me how to surf. Now, in my mind, I'm like, all you got to do is uh, get on this big board thing, and then when the wave comes, you stand up, bada-bing, bada-boom, you're done, and you go back and you literally do that over and over and over again, which is fun. So before we got out there, my friend was telling me some cardinal rules. He was saying, uh, especially rule number one, not if, but when you get swallowed up by the wave, you need to, A, not panic, but you need to kind of relax your body because at this point, you don't know which way is up. And so once gravity takes you uh, to the direction that is up, then you start swimming that direction. And I said, got it. How hard can it be? Get up on that surfboard, you know. I'm paddling out, uh, and I see this big wave coming. And I thought the smart thing to do was not to take it, not to take this wave. It's too big, I'm brand new, I shouldn't do this. But what I actually did was very different from what the smart thing would have been done would have been, which is to go for it. So big wave comes, I'm paddling out, I'm going, I'm I'm standing up, I'm getting on the board, thinking that I've made it, and suddenly I fall down, and the big wave swallows me up. And, and instead, Of recalling uh, what my friend told me to do, I panicked. Everything went out of the window. I started panicking, and as soon as I got underwater, I started swimming. Because I wanted air, and I swallowed some water, and you know I felt like I was going to drown. I didn't want to drown, so I kept on swimming and swimming. And there was a point where I'm like, okay, I'm running out of breath, but I must be close to the surface. And so I'm going and I'm going, and suddenly, instead of hitting the surface, it was the opposite. I hit the bottom of the ocean. And you can just see and just imagine how discouraged that I would have felt at that moment. Because at this moment, I was running out of air. And I was thinking, okay, well, I must be close. And yet, the very opposite was true. I hit the bottom. And so I flip around. I push myself up. And I'm swimming and I'm swimming. And, I'm, I, I, and it sounds kind of dramatic. But I literally, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to drown because I was running out of air. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I reached the surface, essentially right in the nick of time. And I will never forget the big, huge breath that I took as soon as I got out. I, it was that breath that was indescribable. I was like, <sighs> and suddenly my panic, uh, my sense of of ultimate death, uh, uh, of hopelessness was gone, and suddenly in one breath, I felt peace and comfort, and I knew that everything was going to be all right. And see, when I, when I think about this cross in uh, this message this morning, immediately I thought about that story because in a small way, that is something that illustrates what this cross is all about. In the most darkest, in the most bleakest, uh, in the most hopeless time of season in your life, God, through Jesus, through the cross, offers you a bigger and better story, and that is life that is resurrection, that is victory over the death that you are feeling, that you are going through, whatever it is, that does not have the last word. The cross does. Life has the last word. Death does not. And really the Bible is all about this story of how this brokenness, right? How this brokenness came together. If we look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, if we start all the way from the beginning, it's a story of how God wanted the world to be. God created humanity. God created the earth. And God created everything in it. And and, and God's purpose was that everything would live in harmony and peace. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And it's not just this sense of peace where there's an absence of conflict, but there's a sense of peace uh, where there's this uh, undefinable word, a Hebrew word called shalom, uh, which we uh, translate as peace. But it's this word shalom that says when God created all of humanity and, and, and the earth and all of the things in it, that everything would live in harmony, in peace, from head to toe, from inside and out, would live together. And, and then suddenly we get to Genesis chapter 3, where, there, where sin enters the world, uh, and there's a brokenness in what God had originally uh, intended it to be. See, God originated, originally had it to be beautiful and peaceful and shalom. And in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world out of disobedience, out of pride, out of ego, out of selfishness, where they were disobedient to God. And they ate of the fruit. There was this fruit that God said not to eat. And yet they said, I will eat it because the temptation was that if you ate this fruit, then you would be like God. And so instead of trusting in God, they took a selfish route and said, I don't want to just trust in God. I want to be God. Essentially, I want to be my own God. I will take the fruit and was clearly disobedient to what God had said. And immediately there was a chasm between humanity and God. What, what once God had to be beautiful and filled with shalom now had division, And all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, was this pathway back to restoration between humanity and God, to be at peace, to be reconciled once again. Uh, And there there was different attempts. There was laws. There was traditions. There was rituals. There was kings. There were priests. And, And yes, they were coming closer and closer and closer and closer. And what the New Testament reveals is that it's actually through the person of Jesus That that gap, that chasm, was filled. That we, as humanity, now can be in right relationship with God because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. See, if the Bible is about a story of how brokenness becomes restored, the cross is the final answer to that it was that through his death and resurrection on the cross that had victory over any separation of any sin of anything that pushes us us away from God and creates that division. When Jesus was on that cross, he said three words. He says, "It is finished." Whatever that is separating you from me, God says, it is finished, it has been nailed on the cross through my son, Jesus, so now you can have eternal life. And and I love one of my favorite authors, his name's N.T. Wright, in this book called Simply Christian, he says this, he says, the real enemy, and he's talking about when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he says, the real enemy, after all, was not Rome, but the powers of evil That stood behind them. The real enemy, after all, he says, was not Rome, but the powers of evil that stood behind them. So when Jesus went on that cross, he took upon evil, he took upon sin, he took upon shame, he took upon grief and sorrow and anger and pain. Whatever we may have felt to keep ourselves distant from God and really to one another, Jesus took that upon the cross and nailed it with him. And after 3 days, the one, the only thing that came back to life was Jesus, which is a demonstration that Jesus had victory over sin and shame and pain. That Jesus was the winner here. Not death. And not anything that comes along with death. It was life that was victorious. Jesus was victorious over sin, and, and, and in theological terms, there's this atonement theory, okay? There, so atonement literally means to, to be at one. What, it's when Jesus died on the cross, and there's this atonement uh, called Christus Victor, and, and it's the atonement theory that I subscribe to personally, that Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection, Jesus became victorious over sin, over evil, over anything that may keep us in bondage from experiencing not just life, but true life, life everlasting, the kind of life that God has offered to us. Are you experiencing that kind of life? Jesus says, I have died on the cross, and not only died on the cross, but defeated the cross so you can experience life abundantly. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, it says this, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. And again, he said, it is finished. Jesus was victorious over sin, over evil, over anything that causes us death, that causes us a separation from God. It was that resurrection. So if we just had Good Friday, it wouldn't be the whole story. If we just had Easter, it wouldn't be the whole story. The reason why we have a resurrection is because there was a death. Good Friday and Easter Sunday go hand in hand together. In Matthew twenty-eight verse one it says, "After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and other Mary and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was uh, like lightning." And his clothes were like snow, white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know uh, that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. I love this part. And then he says, he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. That death was not the la- end of the story. That death did not have the last word. That yes, Jesus was crucified. But the important part of this story, just as important as the Good Friday part, as is death, is that death did not have the last word. Resurrection did. The life of, uh, of abundant life had the victory over death, over sin, over shame. Jesus says, uh, in, in later on in chapter 11, he says, I am the life and resurrection. Anybody who believes in this, even when they die, will live. And everyone who believes in this will never die. I love this part. In verse 25, he says, Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection. That sounds like it's redundant, but it really isn't redundant. Jesus is making two affirmations here uh, on the cross, Upon the resurrection. He says, through myself, through my death and resurrection, there's two things. One, you experience life, uh, life, not just life after death, but life right now. But let's not mistake that as followers of Jesus, the hope that we have also includes what happens after we die. I know that sounds a bit esoteric. It sounds kind of cliche. Here's the Easter message. You come to church and you say, hey, you know what? As Christians, we have hope that after we die, we get to go to a place called heaven. But there's a reality to that that brings us peace. Christ offers us an eternal resurrection, a promise of salvation, even, yes, upon our physical death. And the sooner we become at peace with death and the fact that there is life after death is when we can actually experience true life here and now. And not to sound so morbid here on Easter Sunday uh, is that no matter what you believe, no matter your life experience, one thing that all of us that we can agree on is that death is certain. It's imminent. It, it will happen. It doesn't matter what religious background you have or what you believe, how positive you are. Death will actually happen. And, and some of us, we've experienced this with people around us, whether it's loved ones, whether it's, uh, you know, watch the news or, or people around us or a family member. We've experienced an actual physical death. It's, it, it's certain. It's one of the only things, and taxes, they say, uh, is the only thing that we can be certain in life. And knowing this, what brings us peace and knowing that death is certain is that death, just like the cross, does not have the last word. Eternity does. Life after death has the last word. Life after life after death, if you catch that. And I love what Jesus says. He says, or what Paul says uh, about the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is Paul understood this concept that he himself was able to live at peace because he understood that the end of the story was him with God and community forever and ever. He says, Christ in me is to live, meaning, you know what? While I'm on this earth, I'm going to live because I will be with Christ. Christ in me is to live, but to die is to gain, To die is to gain. He understood it as a benefit, actually, because he understood that death did not have the last word. And because we know this, we can have hope and we can find peace and we can live life today, even though we know that a physical death may be certain, that is certain. We can live with hope and joy and peace, even in the midst of that. So there's two affirmations. The first affirmation is that you as followers of Jesus, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can experience life and life after death. And the second affirmation is this, is that the promise actually begins today, right now. It's not just uh, this place that we go to after we die, although yes, of course that is true, but if we minimize the Christian life to, yes, after we die, we go to a place called heaven, then we have truly missed the point. We have truly minimized what Jesus had done on the cross for us, for you, and for me. That is not the gospel. That is a partial gospel. The full gospel is what happens immediately when Christ enters your life and changes it and gives you hope and transformation. The second affirmation is that life begins today. And for many of us, we need to hear that. We need to hear that life, not just any kind of life. So there's two words in, uh, for life in Greek, uh, what the New Testament talks about. There's, there's uh, bios, which means life, which we get the word biology, which literally means something that is living. Uh, and then there's zoe, Zoe means true life, life that God had intended from the very beginning of time, that you would live in shalom, in peace, this undeniable, undefinable element that can only come from God. Jesus says, through the cross, I give that to you, not just after you die, but right now, today. And that's such good news for many of us, because some of us, we come in here needing to hear that sense of hope. Because for a lot of us, we are living in Friday. We're living in death. Obviously, you showed up, you're breathing. I'm not talking about a physical death. We're experiencing death in our souls, in our lives, in our relationships, uh, in the people around us, in our greed, in our selfishness. Whatever it is, we have a sense of death among us, and in us. And what Jesus is saying is that that does not have the last word. I come to bring life into that. And the question is, where are you experiencing death? Are you sensing a sense of hopelessness, pain, suffering, hurt, anger, anxiety? I just heard uh, this statistic from the World Health Organization that over 90% 90% of people in America will experience a form of depression or anxiety of some sort. That is a sense of death. Maybe it's in a brokenness of relationship. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of this this desire for life. Whatever it is, We all experience a place of death. And what Jesus is saying is that that does not have the last word. You can experience resurrected life today. We sang about that this morning. That the grave does not have the last word, but the resurrection does. And so the question is, where do you need resurrection in your life? Where do you need to come back alive from? Where are you experiencing hurt, pain, selfishness, greed, brokenness? Where where are you experiencing that? Because Jesus offers a resurrection, a life, not just bios, but a zoe kind of life in that death you are experiencing. And this, my friends, is the ultimate example of love. And I love in John chapter 3, verse 16, we've all heard it before. It says, for God so loved, agape, for God so loved, agape, unconditional love, loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not just eternal life after you die, but eternal life today. And and this was a profound verse when he says, uh, for God so loved unconditionally, the cosmos, See, uh, back in the first century, in order to be one with God, to be together with God, you would have to do all these rituals, and you have to be part of this nation of Israel. And what Jesus is saying is so radical and so profound. He says, all you have to do is believe that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to defeat sin and guilt, and shame that we may have. Will you believe that with me? Will you believe that the the death does not have the last word, resurrection has the last word, and because of that, we can experience that, not just after we die, but today in our lives. Where do you need Resurrection. Where do you need to be a part of resurrection? We have the power to bring the presence of Christ to others. And I know for some of you, you guys are here and say, you know what? I've heard this before. I've been here. I've been going to church all my life. I know I'm quote unquote saved, whatever that means. Uh, and I'm going to go to heaven. And so all is good. But the second question then is, is a question of discipleship. Where have you been a presence of, dis, uh, of, rec, of uh, resurrection for others? Where have you been this example of love that we see on the cross demonstrated for others? You know, In the New Testament, there's this Greek word, diaskune, uh, which means the righteousness of God, which comes from an old Hebrew word, mishpat. Uh, and it's what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected, his righteousness was fulfilled. Where are you a presence of righteousness, of mishpat? And we see all over the world that the presence of the resurrection is needed. We see this uh, in our systemic racism. We see this in our homelessness. We see this with with people that are marginalized. We see this even in the refugee crisis, which Bethany Weston, I'm proud to say that we're a big part of. Where do you see that? And right now I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Uh, and communion servers as well as we respond to life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, take this bread in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. He says, take this cup and take it, drink it. This is my blood that was shed for you. Do it in remembrance of me, and what this means is that even in our darkest times, in our hopelessness of times, in that sense of place of area of death that we feel, that does not have the last word. Resurrection does. And so this morning, Jesus Christ offers you resurrection. Where do you need resurrection? Will you take a moment? And take an inventory of, Jesus, where do I need that? God, come. And when you're ready, this table is open for everybody. Where you stand, you come from the inside of our aisles, take the the communion, it's gluten-free for those of you that need that. And know that Jesus Christ had died on the cross, shed his blood, broken his body for you and for me, for his church. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can celebrate this Easter Sunday, this, this celebratory day of what you've done for us. And we thank you for resurrection. Convict us, heal us, bring us to a place where we can experience new life. Zoe, in your name we pray, amen. Come when you're ready.